0: But we're much better than what we showed against them. And this is what we're going to show them tonight. No doubt in my head. Let's go, guys.
1: You're listening to the 90 Plus Podcast. Here's your hosts, Ben Rigetti and Sebastian Pereira.
2: All right, welcome to episode 24 of the 90 Plus Podcast. As always, myself, Ben Ergeti, joined by my wonderful co-host, Sebastian Pereira. And for the third straight episode, we have managed to bring on a guest. Uh, we have brought Alexander Gagger. How, how do I, I don't know how to say your name? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, oh, Ale- Ale-
0: Alexander Gange Ruzik. Yeah. Gange
2: yeah. Ruzik. Okay. I always see it. Like, I like, know how to... Yeah, okay. Start Come out. on, Ben. You're better than that. I know, damn. I've been on a good roll lately of like starting off the episodes. Okay, Gange R- Ruzic.
0: It's all good. Yeah, if you get made, as long as you get it right after that, it's all good. Gagne Ruzic.
2: Gagne Ruzic.
0: Yeah. What's up, guys? Thanks for thanks for having me on the show. It's a it's a pleasure to to hop on. Uh, obviously, have we we gotta sit somewhat near each other at BC Place. Uh Geez, nearly a month ago. Time passes way too fast, mm-hmm. but. Good to good to always chat white caps. So I mean, it's a lot more fun to chat white caps than it is to watch white caps recently. Let's just say that.
1: <laughs> so true.
0: I I can agree with you with that.
1: It's just it's been tough. I mean, honestly, uh, it's it's tough not to to be at BC places you said to to watch them and stuff. And it's unfortunate they're down in Portland in in what's a, a very strange world. I would say right now it's a very definitely a very interesting world in terms of what's more important off the field but uh it's just it's, it's tough to, to really watch white cap soccer right now
2: <laughs> yeah well for the you know the viewers and the listeners that don't watch the white caps that's why we're here we can give them a little bit of a breakdown run them through what happened last sunday down in portland a home game away from home uh obviously the white caps based out in portland right now for the rest of the season we took on the portland timbers uh, again it was technically a, a home game but I think Portland Twitter had a bit of a confusion with that. I don't think they even noticed that up until right before kickoff. I was kind of looking around uh, down on William Conwell's Twitter. He was our guest on episode 20, uh, 22, I should say, of the podcast. He helped us uh, break down the, well, uh, preview the White Couchers Portland game. But uh, he actually predicted a 1 0 victory for Portland off uh, air. So, you no, know guy knows his stuff. So, we <laughs> We are happy to have him on, and yeah, it, was, uh, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything to write home about, or even write home to Portland about. Um, it, was, it was a 1-0 loss, for those of you that didn't know the score. An early goal, uh, right off the bat, five minutes in off a free kick, and from then on, you, know, you could have turned your TV off then and not missed a whole lot, if I'm being honest. Sebastian, off the bat, what did you think of the game?
1: Well, I I definitely thought it was a way better game than the LASC game. Obviously, anything's going to be better than that. But um, I think it was just – it was so nice to, I guess, see the Whitecaps kind of have a bit more possession again. That's something they haven't had in a while. I I don't even think in the RSL game they had too much possession either. Um, So it was nice for sure to see them play the ball around, you know, uh, try and create as much as they could. It, It obviously wasn't the first string Timbers lineup um Diego Valeri came in at halftime and he was very quiet up until the 80th minute I say um and the Caps did a decent job of shutting him down until the latter stages so um I think they were they were all right in possession uh defensively they just made that one mistake at the start um and then on the offensive they they definitely created opportunities and this game probably shouldn't have finished 1-0 it probably should have finished 1-1 or maybe even 2-1 for the Caps, if I'm being honest there was two great chances that I can remember one from uh, Lucas Cavallini off a diving header and another diving header from Freddie Montero. So um, it, it should have been maybe a point secured at least for the Whitecaps, I'd say, but definitely a lot going forward they can uh, improve upon.
0: Well, yeah, i top in on there. It was the, – the, the early goal really messed things up, I think, because uh, obviously score effects play a role. Portland sits back. They they beat Seattle on in the midweek, obviously – they rotated their squad. I mean, now there's a week break between games. So maybe they didn't need to rotate as much as they did. But obviously, they they did that and the Whitecaps pressed and they kept more possession. And uh, I think in that case, you would want to see the Whitecaps finish their chances. Because I mean, when a team sits back and invites you to go at your goal, you always want to make them pay and kind of take advantage of that pressure. But I guess, on the other hand, Portland clearly did want to attack. Maybe that was more of a fatigue thing than a tactic thing. I think Savarese bringing on Valeri, like you said, it kind of shows where he wanted at least Portland to do with the game, whereas their players maybe responded dif- differently. And especially, you know, Lucas Cavallini, obviously right now he's going through a rough patch, but he probably knows better than anyone at his price tag, at what his, his pedigree, what he costs. He knows he's got to finish those chances because it, it, it changes games, really. Goals. It's it's such a cliche, it's such a such an obvious thing to say, but goals change games, and for the, for the better, or for the worse. If you're the Whitecaps, and lately it's been mostly for the worse.
1: Uh, I I just got a quick question for Alex because, I mean, we were both at the Lucas Cavallini press conference when he was announced to the Whitecaps, and would you say he's kind of lived up to the not postman train? Like he said in that press conference, if I can remember, he wasn't a postman, um, would you say there's still a little bit more in the tank for him to give, El Tanque? <laughs> um, I mean I mean, he hasn't scored a lot, but he, he's shown at times that he can be that hold-up player that um, he can also move into decent spots. but is it also a problem of him not getting enough service and maybe at times not being utilized in the best way possible?
0: I mean, the service thing is it has been an issue in some games. There are some games where he gets kind of you know cut off and doesn't doesn't really get the ball, and be it because of the Whitecaps not playing good with the ball, and be it a bit of the other team keying in on him as a key player and snuffing him out of the game. But you look at the Portland game for an example. He had his chances. He he didn't finish it. And with him, it was I was kind of mentioning on our show earlier in the week we were talking about Portland it feels like he just needs something good to happen right now because it's starting to affect other parts of his game I think at the beginning of the year you could see him pressing you could see him getting into tackles and he's still doing that but he's become a little more reckless with it because he's almost frustrated when he gets the ball he feel he looks so stiff he's not he's not making creative passes he's he look he just doesn't look comfortable right now and it's a striker thing honestly because some of the best strikers in the world when they're not scoring it just it gets you mentally and i think for him right now he needs goals and preferably honestly just a few goals in a game or something to just get his confidence up because you can tell you can tell when he's at the top of his game he'll he'll impact the game in so many ways with his physicality even he has surprisingly good hold up play and other other aspects of his game but right now metaphorically it's like you know the hockey player gripping the stick a little too tight he's just not not helping the team as much as he could so hopefully this week-long break seeing his seeing his family hopefully put him on a good mindset because if you're the Whitecaps having Lucas Cavallini just be the disruptive force he could be I think that could change the nature of the attack especially if you got guys like Milinkovic and Dahomey putting in good shifts alongside him
2: one thing I want to touch on before we kind of look at the starting lineup for the Whitecaps in that Portland game uh, something we heard about so much at the start of the season and that Cavallini was going to be this big key to unlock the forward press and the high press. And that has that trend has really sort of died. I don't know the last time I've heard MDS mention the words high press in the last five months. It's, it comes and goes and it never quite stuck. And I'm not sure if Cavallini is out and out the guy to be like the focal point of this high press to put that pressure on. Like you said, Dahomey's putting in really good performances and uh, we've seen him do that from time to time. Milinkovic at that cam roll. Theo bear has got lots of energy, lots of pace. He'll go out and do that. Cavallini, it, it doesn't, it, for this the high press to work, everyone has to work together. They all have to work as a unit. If Cavallini's holding off a little bit, if he's behind the play or if he's fouling out of games or whatever, he's, you can't build a system around a player that isn't working in that system, you know? It's going, it's a vicious circle of going round and round of, oh, Cavalini can fix this system, but Cavalini needs to get into the system for it to fix. And he needs, and it keeps going round and round like a spin cycle. I just, again, this was the big, you know, everyone was talking about the high press in the off season. And we brought in these, you know, coming out of nowhere, Dahomey, Milinkovic, like lots of guys that can really impact him. We saw it in the practices early in the season. We saw it a few times in games early in the season. And then it's just died off, and I don't really know where it's gone because it worked. You know, we we saw some good. In if you you know, it seems a lifetime ago, but the LA Galaxy game back in March, the beginning of March, we saw some really good high press there. It looked good. It worked the way that Mark Santos wanted it to, and that comes back to a problem that Sebastian, and the listeners, will know that I've had this problem for a long time. There's no identity with the Whitecaps. They have no style of play. It changes week in week out, as we've seen with the formations. It's like eight formations in 12 games or something like that on the year it's it, it, the Cavallini doesn't fit into the identity that the Whitecaps don't even have and I think somewhat like we said that you said I don't want to ramble on for too long here you guys mentioned the service again that's the system but we don't know what the system is because you don't have a formation or an identity so Cavallini it, you, you said that you know something good needs to happen to him I think something really good needs to happen to this whole team if anyone's going to flourish and benefit from the rest of the season.
0: Uh, no, that's an excellent, excellent point. Obviously, identity. It, it's its frustrating because I do think there is an identity, but it's just not been there enough. And we always bring up preseason, and it's so annoying to bring up I preseason. Preseason, pre-season <laughs> Whitecaps <weight laughs> is the
1: best Whitecaps.
0: <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean anything. That's the thing. It doesn't mean anything. But at the same time, you look at the preseason, they played nice football. It wasn't just that they won three or four preseason games is that they played really nice football and it's just been so inconsistent I think identity is is a good term to use Ben I like that one I think another one that's been a kind of a buzzword of mine as of late is inconsistency because it's it's these flashes it's it's the, the fact that for 10 minutes in a game they'll play offensively and be like oh, okay these white caps They're not that bad. They can play it on the front foot, they can attack and then it disappears and then they'll press for 10 minutes and then it'll disappear. And there's something inconsistent about the, the white caps that I don't know what it is. Maybe there could, there could be a multitude of factors, the lack of consistent training this year because of travel and quarantines and injuries and all that. Maybe that plays more of a role than we think it does, but for whatever reason, consistency has been a huge struggle and, If they could figure out the consistency, I think they could be at least a decent to good MLS team. They've shown moments against good teams, but at the same time, they don't give out trophies for flashes. They give out trophies for being good over 90 minutes, for being good over 34-game seasons. So that's obviously another thing for them to figure out because it would be great if they could go out for at least maybe more than 15 minutes, at least 60, 70, 80. Usually that's enough to win games, press high show possession move move into good areas be be active on the ball when your teammate gets the ball nowhere to go and for whatever reason right now inconsistency is just plagued these white caps and hey with nine games left maybe they'll start to to figure it out and at least give some some hope heading into a potential really weird postseason with like half like 70 80 percent of the league making the postseason or at least next year but yeah i think consistency and and uh consistency in that identity kind of as you said is huge going forward and just trying to put that puzzle together because there's big chunks of the puzzle but there's huge holes in it at the same time
1: and I think I think part of the inconsistency that you mentioned Alex and also the uh uh I think I think there was a word you used back there there was I I can't quite remember it but it was it's just like the pieces to the puzzle I think one of those things is um the lack of, I guess, creativity in the midfield. um, I think especially in the game against Portland uh, a couple of days ago, it was kind of evident that the Whitecaps do need more creativity going forward. They have it in their squad right now, but they just need that little extra spark that arguably, arguably a lot of MLS teams have now. Um, We started seeing it. um, I would say the prime time for for playmakers in MLS was probably when Diego Valeri came into the league. That's when it really started to rupture up and teams took notice and people were like, Oh, we should probably buy a number 10 from South America. We should bring him in. And, and, you know, you can add that extra flair or that type of stuff. I think Diego Valeri was probably one of the first, if I'm not mistaken, to really, um, I guess, put himself out there and give teams a sense of, Hey, we can bring in a creative number 10 and we can, you know, we can make a move and, and, bring the headlines to, to our team. And we've seen that again with the likes of Miguel almiron he's gone on to Newcastle, um, highly successful at Atlanta United. Um, I think someone else who we should also mention is uh, Nacho Piatti. He wasn't number 10, but he brought his flair to Montreal. Uh, Alejandro Persuelo of late. Um, I know I'm missing quite a lot because there's just been so many over the last couple of years, but those are just the ones that can come to mind, but it, it for me it just it's it's just a time for the white caps to go back to the mentality of we need a create a midfielder much like they did in 2014 as they they had a decent couple of years with him he was obviously uh, plagued with a couple injuries but um he he did show his qualities for much of that first season and uh he continued to do so when he was a, when he was fit um i think it's time the white caps do go back to that um mentality and say like many other teams have, that we need a number ten, um, and I think all three of us here can definitely say that we we are missing creativity in the midfield, and um, we just need that extra spark in midfield to to bring the best out of not only Cavallini but some some somebody even like Christian Dahomey or David Milinkovic. I I do think both of them have done really well this season, um, especially Milinkovic of late. He's been absolutely top class for this Whitecaps team on loan and that's one that's going to be one of the big questions this off season is is he going to stay or is he going to go back to hull um but staying on top i think there's still definitely more um they could add if they had that number 10 in the squad
2: yeah that milinkovic case is a whole can of beans that we're not going to get into on this episode at least um but yeah in terms of the uh like obviously we've been crying for number 10 for you know this whole season if not even before that um we and then you look at the starting lineup that mark de santos puts out for portland it's awusu and bikel holding down the fort in the middle of the field standard 4-4-2 i liked the look of it at first but when i kind of like before the game kicked off i kind of noticed awusu and bikel are very strong defensively at least i feel like that people are saying awusu might be you know pushing up the field a little bit more might be in his strong suit i'm kind of like what he does on defense Him and Bikel as as the only two options in the center of the field create way too much of a hole. They've got Dahomey and Adnan going down the wings. And if you look at our play, 14% of our attack from Portland's game came from uh, the middle of the field. The rest were from the, as according to who scored, but everything else came from the outside. Owusu and Bikel can get the job done by themselves. I like that Cavallini had the extra support in Montero up front. I'm a big fan of playing two strikers. I'm, I can live with one striker, but I, don't, I can't live with Cavallini up there by himself. It has to be someone that gets a little bit more, uh, does a little bit more work off the ball than Cavallini. That's why, and then you bring in Owusu and Bakel, who I think if there was a cam in there, even if it is Owusu up at that cam spot, we saw that a few times in the home games at BC Place, uh, Owusu has the ab- ability to go forward, but he chooses not to sometimes. Same with Bakel. He brings a lot of energy. He's good on the ball. He makes smart passes. He linked up really well with Dahomey, which I really like to see. But there's just nowhere near enough creative drive and force going forward between the two of them. And the 4-4-2, on paper and right away, I thought it looked good. But the second I saw it out on the field, you could tell that Wusun-Bakel, I like them together and I've been wanting them to play together, but they need one other person in that midfield just to link it all together. Because the two of them by themselves, they can't get the job done.
0: I guess yeah. To to kind of hop on that. That's that's very very good point because I think personally, Daniel Bakel can play in a double pivot. I think he's got the physic, he's got the physical nature. He's very defensively competent. He he can pass all that. We know that. But he's he's definitely well more suited to playing a double pivot. I just think Leonard Owusu, He's a th- he's a three man midfield kind of guy. I just think he he doesn't have the legs to cover enough ground. I think create create creatively. Sorry, he can creatively. Sorry, he can make these passes, and he, he's clearly good on the ball. His shooting maybe leaves a lot to be desired, but he can dribble, he can pass, he can tackle. But he needs a third body. So if you're gonna play a two-man pivot, Daniel Bikel definitely can be that guy. But you just look at Leonard Owusu and he's more of someone okay. You want to switch to a to a three man midfield, and it's tough because you look at the Whitecaps midfield options. There's not many guys on there that can play in a two man pivot, and you know the, if if anything, it's gonna it's you're gonna call me gonna call me crazy probably. But you look at the only two that can play in a two man pivot, it's Russell Tybert and Daniel Vakel, and Russell Tybert has his own limitations as a player. So when you're putting him in a two man pivot, there's other holes, options, whatever that open up. I'll, 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 other areas of the pitch sorry but if you're going to play a 4-4-2 you kind of got to go to the strengths of the formation not just the players and if you're going to go to a 4-2-3-1 then maybe put in it, it, it hurts to say it, but you put in someone like Tybert his injury hurts in a 4-2-3-1 right now but knowing that you don't have Tybert and that you probably he takes away a bit from the team offensively then okay go to a 4-3-3 play Daniel Bikel. And Michael Baldissimo and or Patrick Metcalf with uh, Leonard Awusu in a three-man midfield get the best out of out of those guys. And yes, it, it, you have to make a tough decision up front between do you drop Ali Adnan to left back, do you drop one of Milinkovic into home makes? You're unlikely to drop Cavallini, but I think that's going to be a decision they have to make if they want to get the best out of Awusu. But it, it's kind of the right now for for Mark Desantis. It's who do you want to get the best out of because each formation. Takes and gives away from from each player, and I think for him he needs to maximize maximize his players because I think of the four four two. You talk about that LA Galaxy game. Who was beside Cavallini? It was To Saint Ricketts, and he looked great in a four four two because Ricketts might not be the sexiest player in terms of his his touch or in terms of his flair, but he presses his you know he presses his butt off and he, he makes things happen. So he works in a four four two. But I agree if you want to get the best out of this team, it has to come through midfield. So I think the four through three is an option, but if DeSantos wants to stick with the two man pivot, he does have to consider those factors.
1: And I guess also it, it it's not a bad thing, obviously to have so much death because um, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you both uh, speak a lot about different, and we've talked a lot about different players here today, but um, it's also a good problem to have if you're MDS. I mean, I don't think the Whitecaps have had this death since uh, probably 2018, 2017, I want to say. twenty eighteen nineteen. it was kind of a little bit tougher for them to have this much depth available. But um, it, it definitely is something, I guess, weird, if you were to call it, that um, they they just don't really know like the exact formation where they can get the best out of every single player. Um, I know it's difficult because at the same time, there's been so many good performances um, individually for a lot of these players of late, um, but it's just, it's confusing that they don't really have that identity as we spoke about earlier. They don't know exactly, okay, this is our system. Play it the entire. It,
2: it,
1: it, and I think it's something that Axel Schuster will be evaluating and Should be evaluating right now, I would say, um, and into the off season and say, okay, who's going to stay here and who's going to move on? Obviously, there's going to be a lot of contracts up at the end of the year. It's MLS, we know that. Um, So, at the same time, it's MDS trying to get the best out of his players and the best formation, but he also knows that there's going to be a new season on the horizon and it's obviously going to be a lot more normal. We hope, hopefully, COVID is gone by by next year. We don't know that, but. Um, it might be a more norm, normal season, so he has to you know, give these players a chance to show what they're capable of in terms of their contracts and trying to play for another contract next year.
2: The uh, last thing I'm going to say on this before we kind of switch gears a little bit, uh, you mentioned depth right at the start of your little spiel there. Um, <laughs> Mark DeSantos, you've got five subs now in the game. You bring on Milinkovic in the 64th for a wing, you know, for a wing back. That's good. Alex he is really
1: shaking struggles. his head. He knows. Uh,
2: <laughs> the 91st minute, you are introducing a striker and, like, another winger. That is too – there is going to be no impact. I know that – I think they got queued up and they went to go to the, the fourth official to get subs on about the 85th minute. And the ball just didn't go out of play, which, you know, isn't on them. But even still, the 85th minute, you're thinking – these guys that have been cold and sitting here for 85 minutes, yeah, a warm-up's only a, you know, a warm-up. There's a warm-up to your 40%, if even that, of a you know, real-life MLS game. You can expect in five minutes these players to jump onto the pitch and make an impact, let alone the fact that you know, the ball didn't go out. It, there was a the 91st minute. Like Sebastian said, we've got depth for the first time in a couple of years. Let's goddamn use it. You've got Ryan Raposo, who I have been really high on, and I love seeing him play. And I was mad at the fact that I only got to see him play for about thirty seconds, maybe touching the ball once. I can't even remember. To Saint Ricketts, again, like Alex said, great player. He presses, he works hard, like not a sexy player, but he gets the job done. He can't get the job done in about a minute of stoppage time. That really that was that was And too much.
1: you you look at his playoff experience as well. He's done it for TFC off the bench so much. Like he's been their yeah. guy. <laughs> in the playoffs coming off the bench and he actually scores he does he he does things like to st ricketts my man he actually like he actually comes off the bench and he does stuff so um it's it's weird to me that we haven't mentioned to st ricketts name that much in the last couple weeks like we we
2: we rarely see him come off the bench over the last couple weeks Alex, I think I poked a bear inside you. You've got something that you want to say?
0: Yeah, I, I've been angry about this many, many, many a time. It just—I almost forgot about it. But the thing with substitutions, I'm already a, a fiend for substitutions in the three sub rule. You don't
2: but, you don't say?
0: Yeah, no. The, the three sub rule, though—that's that, a whole different animal. But with the five sub rule, for example, like why don't you use a sub every game at halftime? Because with the whole three slots if you use one of the slots you have to do a double sub later make a sub every game at halftime if you're the players for the first 45 minutes how much better are you going to play knowing that if you have a bad first half the the gaffer is going to take you off after 45 minutes that first of all that improves your your team your team's performance and then yeah there's this placebo effect with substitutions it makes no sense you can throw in a guy who's terrible but if he has energy he comes off the bench it just gives a shot in the arm. I don't know if it's the players realizing, okay, if he came off, then I have to keep my standard up to keep my spot. And then obviously the guy off the bench wants to prove himself. Like there's rarely any bad substitutions. Maybe like there's a bit, some areas you don't really touch, like maybe don't sub off your center backs or your goalkeeper. But I think aside from that, barring an injury, obviously for those positions, sub on your players. If, for example, Christian Gutierrez before, why didn't he come off? Like if Ali Adnan's having a bad game, take him off and put on Christian Gutierrez and they Mark DeSantos finally did that two weeks ago and look Gutierrez had a great game and ever since then Adnan's woke up and he's looked a lot better it gave both of them a shot in the arm like there's nothing wrong with kind of weeding out complacency almost at times because when you know you're you're gonna play and no matter how well you play you're not gonna come off or you have great guys on the bench they're not gonna come on for you it kind of it can affect your mentality and I just think maybe, you know, for example, Lucas cavallini he's struggling in front of goal. Obviously you want to keep him on and get a goal, but when you have to St. Ricketts on the bench, you have, you have guys like Theo bear who can make a difference. Why not throw them in? And if you're Lucas Cavallini and you're, you know, you're pissed that you get taken off well, he's a professional, he'll come into training next week and maybe he'll be a better player for it. So I think substitutions, they have so much more meaning than just getting thrown on the pitch. It, It helps the players on the pitch. it, it it creates future change for the next game and the game beyond it's like it gives an audition of players like it's just such a it's a free opportunity to to change up the game and as a coach you can't control things on the field if your player is awful if they forget the tactics you have this great plan and they fail to execute it you can't do anything but you can use the subs to your advantage and it's just it frustrates me when the when that weapon isn't used and Especially in a game like that, it's 1 0, it's a dead game, it needs a shot in the arm, and then that shot in the arm just never came, and when it came, it was too late. It was, that was just really frustrating.
2: <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah, um, I think, sort of, with that, uh, we're going to try, so we're trying out this new sort of segment, I guess, uh, since it's been a few days since the Portland game, uh, and it was far from a memorable game. Um, <laughs> we, instead of doing the classic player ratings like usual, uh, me, Sebastian, and Alex, we've decided to switch it up a little bit and we're bringing something new to the table. So it's, we're going to bring one positive and one negative from the Whitecaps' performance in their most recent game, which was obviously the Portland game. Um, and yeah, I will, uh, I'll start it off, I guess. Um, so I've got a couple here. So I've, I didn't know which avenue you guys were going to take. Um, I'll go with uh, the possession out wide was good. It was a lot better. And I think I kind of touched on that when uh, I said the Owusu-Bakel going forward wasn't enough. Um, yeah they, they looked good out wide Ali of a, a, a strong showing uh, I haven't said that a whole lot this year so I'll bite my tongue and I'll say that um, but yeah no it, it looked good when the ball went out wide you know Gutierrez make overlapping runs Jake Lewinsky, he loves to get forward um, and yeah it's just it just sort of worked I guess there's no real you know we had options we had support a couple of times we get some good crosses in and when you've got guys like uh, you know Lucas Cavallini the Aubert, if he got into the game uh whatever um <laughs> that sort of stuff it, it looks good out wide getting those crosses in it looked like it could have worked and you know there was a time or two like sebastian said there were a good couple of chances coming in off crosses so yeah the possession out wide was good um my negative is that the possession in the middle of the field was bad and it was really bad um yeah 14% of our like attack came through the middle and i guess some of that comes with you know the strikers and We've seen, again, we, we, you know, we've only seen Freddie Montero a handful of times on the year, so we're used to him you know, being 10 out of know, every game, I guess, for, to an extent, I guess, for 2020. It, it was quiet by him. It was quiet by a lot of the Whitecaps attack. Yeah, they had, like I said, a couple of chances, but nothing really to write home about. Um, yeah, the Yawusu bakel partnership needs that extra man in there like a Michael Baldissimo who was on the bench and didn't get in at all for God knows why. Um, yeah, just in a, the, the the middle of the field just needed that something, and I guess we can, can just right, keep reverting back to this. That we just need that number ten with that flair and the passing ability. But regardless, the possession out wide was good, in the middle was bad. So that's my one good, one bad for that.
0: And I can hop in on that. Um, I'll start my good. I'll go with Eric Goodoy. I just I was mentioning it earlier to someone. Like, I forgot how good he was at defending. Like, he's one of those defenders. that He's no-nonsense. And it's almost it's crazy to think that everyone almost forgot about him. Like, obviously, guys like Ranko Veselinovich and Andy Rose has had a few good shifts here. And Jaster Kamiri has been a roller coaster. That's a whole other story. And Derek Cornelius has quietly been probably the best defender of all the four that I just mentioned. But you forget how good Eric Godoy is. So I think he just brought a new dimension of the back line. He, he just... He has this presence, and I think if he's going to keep playing, I think the white cab's defense is going to look a lot better, and I think that's going to help them in other areas of the pitch, such as their offensive game, just knowing that if you have Eric Goodway at the back, you can breathe a little easier. But for the negative, I mean, yeah, where do I start? I think, for example, that first mistake on the goal really, really hurts because it's so demoralizing, and set-piece marking, it's, it's, there's just no excuse to fall asleep at a time like that. Like, mistakes – can happen and you can you can miss a tackle you can you can, at least if you're trying a mistake like that or a mistake in general it's fine but it just hurts to see you lose a marker like that and give up such a harmless looking chance and turn it into a goal so I mean I also could go for a few other negatives the subs was obviously one we mentioned the finishing was surprisingly poor so white caps if there's been one thing they've been good at this year it's somehow finishing when they even when they get one or two shots a game but so I'll I'll go with the defensive mistake though, and uh, that's that's my negative.
1: Yeah, I think the one positive for me, I would say, I would say, I, I and I've said it a lot in recent weeks. It's been definitely the play of Freddie Montero. I I know he had a quiet game uh, against Portland, but again, you can just see that his addition into the starting lineup definitely makes a difference in this team going forward, um, both creatively and. I guess just simply being in the box as well. I mean, we've known for a long time that Freddie Montero is a poacher. He he can be in the box. He can smell a chance out of nowhere, honestly. And I've said it a lot over the past couple of weeks. He can he can just be in that position and smell something. Even the goal against uh, Montreal at home, the second goal that he scored in that game, you can tell that not necessarily – I wouldn't say it was a pass from Usu. It wasn't – like he didn't intend to back backheel that to Montero, but – Montero just smelled the chance. He stayed behind Owusu, and he just hit it first time with his like left peg into the bottom corner. Um so he knows that. It's in his bread and butter. Um I think he also is very good at creatively being a little bit of a number ten. We said it a lot as well. Um he didn't show that too much against Portland, but um specifically just being in there around the box, sniffing around, he had that one really good chance that got blocked off by uh Zuperich, if I'm right. Um and it is just small things like that. I mean, Cavallini's not necessarily going to be the guy who hovers around the box. He's more or less going to be trying to get on the end of stuff and trying to make the runs. But Montero, just being in and around the penalty area, uh, even in the final third, just getting that free room to try and create around around the box and freeing up to home a Milinkovic, uh, Adnan as well, who now plays winger. Is <laughs> um, it, it, he can do a little bit of everything. So. Although he didn't have the best of games uh, against Portland, I thought that was a really big positive for the Whitecaps going forward. Um, I would say my negative is probably um, the, the lack of fluidity in midfield, honestly. I mean, I, I really want to see a part like a midfield three of Baldissimo, Uwusu, um, and Bikel. Um, and we haven't been able to see that for 90 minutes yet. We've seen that for, I think, about 10 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, in in a previous game, probably against Montreal. Um, But it's just, I just feel like the midfield can offer so much more. And um, when you're playing against a team like Portland, it is going to leave holes uh, for you in the midfield, and Portland are going to exploit that. They didn't necessarily do that in the last game because they weren't playing their best team. Um, Obviously, if Sebastian Blanco, if, uh, Diego Valeri had been in there from the start. It's a different game, and they take care of those those spots, and they can they can kill you in those spots. Um, I don't think the 4-4-2 is the best formation to get the best out of the midfield because even though it does give you some help on the attacking end with Cavallini and Montero up top as a partnership, it just kind of leaves teams like Portland who have that creative number 10. And we're, I mean, we're going to shift over to talk about the Sounders Sounders game in a bit. They have Nico Lodero, and we saw the pass that he made um, the other day against LA Galaxy, and even if he just has a little sniff of space, he's going to kill you with that. So it's important to me that I think the Whitecaps go with three midfielders, um, not only for the game against the Sounders but for the future. I just feel like the fluidity in midfield needs to be a bit better, and, hey, that's the formation they used in preseason, so why not? Since it brought so much success, might as well use it. So, yeah, those were my thoughts on the game.
2: Uh, so I think with that, that just about wraps up the Portland game. Uh, one thing I want to ask the both of you, there was the press conferences going on today. It was Nowinski, Montero, and MDS. Uh, just before we do take a quick look at the Sanders game and wrap up episode 24 of the 90-plus podcast, just kind of want to see if, you know, anything big came out of there. Obviously, the Evan Bush news the last couple of days or whatever, that's been the main sort of stuff going around. Anything else worth noting or anything?
1: Alex, do the honors. Go
0: first. <laughs> um, it was interesting. I mean, they, DeSantos Santos did talk about a few subjects. I mean, for example, just Jordan Morris because he's a matchup problem with how he lines up on the left wing, but he's got the body of a striker and the speed of a of a sprinter. So. Obviously, Kakudamane, <laughs> Mane but like on steroids and yeah. like with the, with an end product. So basically, yeah, what everyone true. wished Mane could become. But it's so true. For, Jake Nowinski has been good defensively this year, but the one matchup he struggled with was Jordan Morris. So there was questions of how is how are they going to match up with Jordan Morris? I mean, I think Eric Godoy playing underneath Nowinski will help. I think that can make a difference, but I think that's that's a very very key battle. Obviously, another issue. Uh, issue that crops up is travel can uh, with the Whitecaps they had to fly from Vancouver down to Portland and then on Saturday they have to fly up to Seattle that's just not ideal at all obviously the flight's like 30 minutes but kind of as DeSanto said and what's been proven flying isn't isn't good for your muscles especially when you have to play on the same day or rest on the same or, or after games as well having to fly home the same night so there is questions of how, what did they learn from the LAFC game where obviously they didn't look very good when they flew in and trying to manage that. And then aside from that, just usual, I guess, pregame stuff, what to watch for, how's the mentality with the team? Jake, one thing Jake I thought was pretty interesting. He said it was the best training session of the year yesterday, their first one after the little break, they had to go visit their family. So I'm curious to see if, A, they keep it up in their training sessions tomorrow and, if they do does that translate onto onto the pitch Saturday because to be fair I think this this is about as healthy of a lineup goalkeepers aside as they have I don't think there's any injuries Malinkovic has recovered from his knock there's just Russell Tybert which
2: much,
0: yeah. obviously he's he can be a piece Kimiri, off yes Kamiri
2: you know yeah Yasser or Kamiri that, that's <laughs> true here?
0: but you know <laughs> we, we forgot that guys existed but like, goalkeepers aside I think that's pretty much everyone barring Tybert and uh, Kamiri healthy so Obviously, the standard of training was, is, was raised as a result, so I'm curious to see uh, does that turn into an improved performance on the field because we talk about how discom- discombogulated training has been with you you're know, always missing guys and injuries, or guys are not there, MLS is back when they weren't there. So if that helps, I'm, I'm curious to see because Seattle's, as we're probably going to get into in a bit, probably one of the stiffest and hardest tests they're going to get this season, especially considering it's in CenturyLink field.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um I guess Alex pretty much nailed it with all the info on in today's pressers. Um, I think something going back to Montero, um, he was asked if if he would think of like does he think about twenty twenty one and his future here with the white caps and um he, he says he thinks about it every night, so it's it's still no answer oh for dear. Freddie <laughs> <laughs> Oh god it's still no answer for Freddie Montero. I think he said a couple weeks ago that um his contract expires December thirty first and he said it himself. So I feel like I feel like just by the fact that he knows that date, like he knows December thirty first, my contract's up, he's gonna leave. <laughs> like just I, I think I think that's pretty plain and simple. Um as I said before, I, I really don't want Montero to leave. Um I think he would be a really good
0: death piece and I think
2: Who else would you talk about on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well I mean I'm I mean so I'll, I'll hop in on there for the Montero <laughs> one because it's an interesting debate for the offseason. But yeah, I'm curious to see how Mark DeSanto's rates him because Schuster, interestingly enough, I think before Montero was back in the lineup, he called Montero the best player in the box that the White Caps have. So Schuster clearly rates him. Montero wants to stay here because it's. For him, it's either Seattle or Vancouver. And yeah, it's,
1: it's nothing other than that. He's a lot of retire. people were saying, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, he's going to go to Orlando. He's that new striker no, Orlando was." No, no, he's not going to go retire, to the East Coast.
0: He's going to retire at that point, and I think his European adventure is done. I don't think he's going to mm-hmm. try China again. It's Seattle or, or or Vancouver. Seattle, they just they have too many strikers so maybe he'll end up staying because Schuster likes him he likes it here if they work out a deal okay be like Montero you've made a lot of money like 200 300 maybe 400k we call it that but that's just I, I felt that was worth worth noting but it's 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 ultimately going to come up what do Schuster and DeSantos decide because I know DeSantos it irks him a bit that even though he's the same age as to St. Ricketts to St. Ricketts runs miles and miles whereas Montero's kind of a he said it himself he's efficient he runs around when he needs to and he kind of mm-hmm. does that so it's it's an interesting mix because there's like three different contrasts there's what de thinks what schuster thinks what montero thinks and ultimately they're gonna have to find some common ground between those three
1: yeah and once again to add to your point that choose to rate some FIFA also rates him as well. I, I have an <laughs> LAFC career mode and Montero scored 20 goals for the white caps. And I haven't like, I haven't touched Montero at all in that career mode it has been all him. So I think FIFA rates him pretty well is, uh, in there. So yeah, I, I, I do want to see him stay. I think, as you said, the only way I can see him going out of this team is if he goes to either Seattle or Portland, cause he has his coffee shop. He has his business. He has his family in Seattle. Um, Maybe not so much Portland because they got their striker situation taken care of now. But um, I think maybe even Seattle he could go to. I think well Bruin is uh, he, he hasn't been as good as he was a couple seasons ago. I would say he's been a little bit on the decline. So maybe Montero goes to Seattle. You know, retires there, stays there for a year or two, and uh, plays his last couple games of his career there. And uh, and you know he he's with his family. Um, He's obviously got his young daughters as well. So they're able to grow around the family. And also um, he's able to, to, you know, finish where he really started, where he really ignited his career and gained his uh, move to Europe. So I think um, if, if Vancouver doesn't work out for him, he's going to go to Seattle no doubt about it. Um, And if not, he's probably going to hang up the boots, but I think moving on to, the next point in this podcast because I've talked about Montero a lot uh it it, it's going to be a tough task for the Whitecaps for the Seattle Sounders obviously they're they're top of the league right now and it's a very good team on me I mean on paper I would say I would say a couple years ago I even doubted them on paper but um now I feel like they just they're just so good at what they do they have their identity as well and Um, you see them bringing back Roman Torres and solving their center back issues, something that Ben and I talked with uh, Nico Moreno in our last episode. So you can go check that out um, on Spotify and SoundCloud. Um, Nico Moreno said that the center back problem, there was a center back problem because um, they just didn't have enough depth there. They didn't have the right partner for Yamar Gomez Andrade. So they addressed that they brought back Roman Torres. And um, I think, they're always on a, cl- they're always a club that's on the move, that's ambitious. So um, it's going to be a stern and tough test for the Whitecaps. And um, here's hoping that it's not another LAFC game, honestly. <laughs> I mean, because that's what happened last time they traveled on the same day. They went to LAFC
2: and we that, know what and, happened happened. And, then we, <laughs> and then we don't talk about that ever again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the big thing that I'm looking for is how Vancouver controls the first 10 minutes of the game obviously mm-hmm. the portland game the only goal of the game five minutes in poor mark and like again i don't want to keep cycling back to this that's just like basic defending like that if that's the 88th minute of the game and everyone's tired and whatever maybe i can give a little sympathy but you're five minutes, you 10 minutes ago you're in the locker room getting fired up with mds and the pregame <laughs> and everything and you can't come out five minutes later looking as sluggish as you did coming off of a set piece where you've got to be and it's not like they took it quickly like I can't remember who it was, but someone ran a dummy line and like someone like kind of like looked at it like, every, like there's, everyone was set up and ready and you can't just let that happen in five minutes into the game. but besides that point, the, the, the white I mean the last time the white cat played Seattle that didn't go all too well either but down in Orlando losing three nil at MLS's back. It's it's really going to be a tough test. with Vancouver ten minutes in to see what the pace of the game is going to be. How and I, I hate to say this, and I I brought this up about a month or two ago, Sebastian. The Whitecaps just aren't good enough to dictate the flow and the pace of the game. That is up to the other team, and basically it's the Whitecaps to see how much resistance and how much they can slow the other team down. We're just I'd, I'd love to say that's not the case, but it is. We're just at the point where it's. We, like, see what Seattle or Portland, who or whoever, or whoever we're playing, how they play the game, and we react and we chase and we follow up from there. In, so if, for the first 10 minutes, figuring out, if we can get through that first 10 minutes of it being 0-0, if we can figure out a little bit more of how Seattle's play is looking, uh, if they switch up any formations, where the matchups are. Obviously, we said the big one will ruin Jake Mawinski. Um But yeah, they Jordan can get, Morris. Jordan.
0: <laughs> well, Bruce doesn't have the same speed.
2: <laughs> oh, God. It's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, yeah, if they can get through those first 10 minutes and it's 0-0, right, maybe I have a chance or two. Because I, I, I did some research, and I love coming up with these random whatever sort of statistics that no one would ever in their right mind look for unless they have a reason. The last time Vancouver scored in the 10, first 10 minutes of the game and won that game was in May 19th of 2019. Freddie Montero scored against Portland. That was 1-0. But yeah, it's just like we don't, the Whitecaps don't start fast. And that comes back to my problem of we're just not good enough or like to just to be able to say, okay, this is how we're going to play that game. We saw it a bit in the San Jose game down against in uh, MLS's back, but the Whitecaps got to dictate, they got to play the lead. I mean, we barely ever get to say that, that they're up two goals in the first half or whatever. And it's just, you know, we're just, we're not at that quality, we're not at that step. And we have to realistically just say, However, Seattle wants to play this game, we're going to do our best to stop that. It's not the other way around. We don't come out of the locker room and we're not on the press straight away. A year or two down the line, once we get, you know, some players in, a system, maybe, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. I don't want to go down that path, but it's, we, we, just, we are at a stage of where we're reacting to games rather than, you know, enabling and being the first ones there and whatever. So it's just, if we can figure out those 10 minutes, ride the wave get through that and then really just kind of play it by ear and see how it goes from there rather than going out with a game plan having you know and then concede in the first 10 minutes and everything going by the wayside from there
0: well for me I guess we're going to talk what I want to watch for I want to watch for what the Whitecaps end up doing because this is an interesting one for me but you'd expect the Sounders to be really good with the ball and they are really good with the ball but they're not a team that they, that, that like say like LAFC that loves the ball. They for them they need the ball to do good. Seattle is looks as good when they have thirty five percent of possession as they do when they have sixty. And when they played the Whitecaps at MLS is back. And obviously that was a very different Whitecaps team. Obviously missing guys up front and injuries in midfield. But Whitecaps held fifty three percent of possession. And the thing is they looked awful with the fifty three percent. It was a terrible fifty three percent. If I'm going to be honest, Seattle's forty seven percent far far outweighed anything the white caps did with their 53 percent seattle had the better chances they completely obliterated the expected goals battle like it was dominance despite not having the ball but if you're the white caps and you can hold on to the ball again because seattle doesn't they're comfortable with sitting back they don't they don't need to press like someone like lafc does and that actually favors the white caps you think of a team like san jose san jose loves to press and they're bottom of the table yet if you look at a matchup from white caps versus san jose you're almost more terrified of it than you are some of the other bigger matchups in the league. It doesn't make any sense, but if the knowing that the white caps are going to get a lot of, maybe a lot of the ball, if they're patient with it, I want to see what they do with it. Are they going to be able to be more calculated, more cutting, cutting edge? Are they going to be able to generate chances or are they going to just be kind of limp in possession almost and give it away at harmlessly at times and get obliterated on the counter? So I'm just kind of curious, maybe to see that counter-attacking matchup because obviously Jordan Morris does dirt, dangerous things in the, in the counter, and Earl Al I think he's back from his suspension. Nico Ladero, he's he's just a he's obviously we know his quality, what he can do to teams on the counter or in possession. And Jao Paulo is fit now, and he's been he's been putting in work. So those guys are obviously a threat on the counter. But if the Whitecaps can make something happen with possession, they do match up well with Seattle at least stylistically. Maybe talent-wise, Seattle does have a pretty significant edge, but if if the Whitecaps can can do that, as I said, maybe this game ends up being a lot more interesting than than, than we think, but if not, it, a 3-0, a 4-0 could easily happen as it did at MLS's back.
1: Maybe it's a good thing that we got this Portland game before the Seattle game. Maybe MDS goes back and looks at some clips and says, hey guys, we can do this going forward and stuff like that, because Maybe he knows they're going to have a lot of possession, as he just said, Alex. And so I think it's a good thing that they just came off this, I guess, similar type of game. We don't know if, if it's going to be what's going to happen uh, against the Sounders. Uh, again, you said it, was, it could be an easy four, three nail, four nail, five 0 six 0 <laughs> <laughs> at this rate. Not six, um, cut it out of five. <laughs> Hopefully not seven. Um, but it, it can. It, I think it's a good thing that the Whitecaps are just coming off this Portland game and now they can start and see okay guys we can be better here in possession and we can go forward from here and stuff like that so uh yeah it's definitely going to be something to watch
2: uh just as we sort of wrap up this episode we always end the episode uh with this question we'll start with alex then go sebastian then i'll finish on myself uh if you're mark de santos what changes are you making in terms of the starting lineup going into saturday's game against seattle you went with the four-four-two. Mikel Oweus in the midfield. Talk about that. You keeping Godoy Rose as the centre back pairings. What changes and how are you sending out the troops for Saturday's game?
0: Boy, that, that's a tough one because <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of some changes and like for example one like I feel like you'd want someone like Freddie Montero in the lineup just because he's it's Seattle he's scored. Uh, He he didn't score last year against Seattle, but he tends to play well against Seattle and motivated. So you do wonder if keeping him in could be an option, but obviously I think if you're starting at the back, I think Evan Bush, why not give him a shot? Like Brian Meredith has been, he's a good servant to you. He's been good, but throw in Evan Bush and see what he can do and kind of audition him because you're going to have to make a tough decision on him at the end of the year. So the earlier you get Intel on him, the better. I think at the back, throw Ali Adnan at left back. I mean, the Seattle Sounders don't typically have much of a right wing. They they tend to play a midfielder on the wing or someone who's not a natural right winger. They don't really I mean against uh the White Caps they played Bowana, I wanna say he's he's a good player, but he doesn't he doesn't typically play he doesn't as much.
1: have the cutting
0: edge. Yeah. He, uh, he did against the White Caps to be fair, but he doesn't play that much. So mm-hmm. he's not one that you're maybe as worried about as Jordan Morris, I think alongside, I think, put Cornelius back in for Rose, keep Godoy in, keep Norwinski in, go to midfield, I think give Bakel another shot, um, you know, bring bring Baldissimo in as well, and then I think Malinkovic, if he's fit, bring him back in and go Dahomey, Montero, and uh, and Cavalini, but if, if Malinkovic is not fit, I almost don't mind putting someone like Montero on the left and putting a Wusu in at the 10, kind of in a weird 4-3-3 or... Even I, I did throw this out. This sounds a bit absurd, but I, I I threw this out the other time. Putting a Wusu on the left mid, kind of as a hybrid. He's he's a midfield, I put my fingers, but obviously with Ali and we know he likes to go forward. He would in position only be a left winger, but essentially be a third midfielder. So maybe something like that if Milinkovic is out. But if not, if Milinkovic is fit, I wanna see Milinkovic Montero, Dahomey, Cavalini get your best attackers on the field and see what you got there.
1: Yeah I think for me as always it's it's been pretty difficult to predict uh, Whitecaps lineups this year for sure um, but I think for me I, I definitely agree with Alex I mean just throw in Evan Bush at the back see what he can do um, I, I, I think he's only here until 2021 so it's, it's also a, an option here for him as well so it it really is. You really have to get him in ASAP and see what he can do and see if it really is worth maybe keeping either him or Meredith in this group. Uh, we know the White Cats have some very talented goalkeepers. So um, I think if you're bringing a guy like Evan Bush, who's had very good experience in this league, he's definitely a leader. I would say, I, I say throw him in from the start because you don't know how long he's going to be in this club. And obviously maybe the fans would question you as to maybe bring this guy in and you don't start him the first day, like the first game. I mean, I, that's personally what I would think. Um, but I think you got to throw him in there at the back. Um, my center back partnership would be, um, I'd probably go for a more pacey one as well, just to deal with the, the threat of Morrison behind Rui Diaz as well. Um, so I would go with Cornelius and Godoy, um, Nierwinski at right back, obviously. Um, I, this one this one's a tough one for me the left back spot um I, I do think that Adnan was very good in the last game, but I think Gutierrez was also made up for the, for the l a f c performance uh I think I'm gonna go Adnan just because he can offer you a little bit more going forward and like you said Alex I mean Juana isn't exactly the most dangerous of midfielders out there in m l s so I think you take the risk and put Adnan in there um in terms of formation I think I'm going to go with a 4-3-3 um, so I'd put Baldy in as the holding mid um, Bikel and Owusu uh, as I said before that's something I really want to see and I think with Baldy in behind uh, Owusu and Bikel maybe maybe even throw Bikel behind Baldy and then you give Baldy a little bit more space to maybe venture off and pick up a couple more passes um, either of those two work but I think just Putting Baldy in with that midfield could definitely benefit the Whitecaps' midfield transition um, and their mobility on the ball, as I said before. Um, and then my front three—this one's a really tough one because, as I said before, there's so much depth in this Whitecaps team now. Um, I think, I think if I'm MDS, I would put Cavallini in. But um, let's say I'm the coach, I would put Montero in. I think. Shocker. <laughs> shocker. What a shocker. Um, but let's say Cavallini, just to try and get the prediction right. Uh, I'd say Cavallini, and then if Milinkovic is fit, you put him in on the left, um, and then Dahomey on the right. Um, I think Dahomey has really stepped up in the last couple of games. He had a really good game against RSL, I think, and um, he, he just looks so much more invested in this team. Obviously. We talk about the incident with his uh, with his family not being in Vancouver for like about seven months. Um, it, it It's really going to hurt someone, like being away from your family for seven months. So uh, I think he just looks a little bit more motivated to just give his all for his team a little bit more now, just give that little extra 10% maybe. Um, so you keep him in, at the right wing. And Malinkovic, he, even though he was a late sub in that Portland game, Um, he added that spark that we we needed he was very direct with his play 1v1 took on a couple of defenders so uh, I think you throw him in on the left and just let him let him let him see what he can what he can do maybe even he gets inside as a a little bit of a number 10 role as well and uh, the pushes up as a number as a number nine with uh, with Cavallini as well so Mm -hmm. I think it's it's a difficult line to predict but that's what I'm going to go for
2: I'm going to go a little unorthodox on this one. And at this point, nothing's unorthodox because we've seen everything under the sun, but I'm going to call it that anyway. Um, I like the move to put Bush in net. I'm going to, you know, flirt that option. Uh, I'm going to go with him in net. Nowinski at right back and then pretty stand across the back. Godoy and Cornelius. Uh, I'm going uh, Gutierrez at left back. I'm starting. I I love Gutierrez. He had a bit of a bad game, I will admit, and I think he you know deserves a bounce back game. And I think he definitely has. That's on the cards for sure. Uh, yeah, the four. So I'm going. I don't know if I had said the formation. My brain's spinning. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm four four one one. Uh, yeah. Oh, so standard standard back four. Nothing too funky there. Um, two center mids. I'm going Baldy, and I'm going Bakel. I think that Wusu coming on later in the game. I think maybe as some reassurance maybe in the midfield or whatever, depending on the score. And, you know, hopefully if he gets in before the 91st minute, he can impact the game. But uh, I'm going Baldy and Bikel in the middle. Ali Adnan out on left mids. Um, just because, and he, again, he was yeah, this was a, one of his better games, I think, this season, uh, the Portland game, at least, up at left mids. He's been spotty at, when he's been in an advanced position, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm giving them the faith on this one. So I'm going him on the left, Milink- uh, the homie on the right. I'm, I'm benching Milinkovic just so he can really kind of nurse back to health 100%. Uh, Freddie Montero at that cam slash center forward, whatever position. And Theo Bear up front. Let the big dog eat. I see a lot of similarities between Cavallini and Bear, except Bear is quicker in my mind. He might not be as physical, but he's still pretty good. He, um, and I think this was his biggest thing, he has such high energy that he, he's never not sprinting in a game. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for his stamina or whatever, he is always going flat out. And I don't, I rarely see Cavallini doing that. Theo is a good striker. He'll take chances if it comes to him. If you've got Freddie Montero, someone who's possessive in the ball, like Ali Adnan on the wing, Dahomey on the right, the same sort of thing. If you put Theo Bear, I think that's a perfect sort of concoction or a big, you know, melting pot. If you drop Theo Bear right as you know the icing on the cake, there, I would love. It's not going to happen, and I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I would love, love. I think this is a game where Theo Bear could, re- I, I've been, I'm high on Theo Bear, and I want to see him succeed. And I see a lot of similarities between Cavallini and Bear. And if Cavallini's games haven't been working out recently, like the last couple of games haven't been for him, what do you have, what do you have to lose for Theo Bear? You know, it's, you're playing a top team in the league. No one's really expecting you to get a result out of this. Throw him in there and let's see what happens. I'm, I'm, I'd, it's not going to happen, but I'm pretty confident in that. But I'd love to see it. So that's my four four one one uh that's I w- my- I wanna see yeah. Bear.
1: Like Bear. I like that. Honestly, yeah. I
0: wouldn't mind throwing Bear into my lineup for Cavallini, for example, too. Like I, I like what Bear brings. I like I like that. I think the
1: partnership with Bear in Montero and you had maybe even a Milinkovich and Dahomey in there as well. It just it just gives you another option going forward because is gonna stay more or less in that central area, just holding up the ball and um he's not going to be very mobile. He's only going to make the runs in the box and he's going to look, he's not going to look to get the ball into feet. Bear more or less is going to be like that, but he's going to add that extra pace that uh, maybe Cavallini lacks at times. Um, So it definitely looks like, as you said, a very. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. (laughs) But honestly, it just looks so nice.
2: Um, and I guess with that, as the time sort of running out on us here, that is going to conclude episode 24 of the 90 plus podcast, one more way from the big two, five, uh, then we'd be halfway to the third sub podcast co-hosted by Alex. Congratulations on 50. Or if you're not already go check him out, follow him on Twitter. Uh, his, his Twitter is going to be up on, uh, on our Twitter at 90 plus podcast. Um, but yeah, Alex, we've really appreciated having you on. You guys are killing it at BTS and the third sub. Congrats on 50 up. Congrats on Golden Hour FC as well. I saw as the debut Big Golden Hour. I saw <laughs> as the debut of the, for yourself the other day there. So yeah, we really appreciate you coming on.
0: Well, thanks you guys. I mean, yeah, you guys been been working hard. It's been great to see. It was great to see you guys in person. So, yeah, I mean, third sub, thanks for that and I I definitely we we got to have a all four of us on at one point because mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever done a four person show, but it's pretty fun and chaotic. And <laughs> as the white cap season goes on, we'll definitely have to do something like that, especially yeah. if there's any crazy games. So it's it a must. A we'll, have,
1: we'll, we'll have to do that on, on the, on the third sub. Now we've, we've done our part on 90 plus. We got to pass it on to the <laughs> third sub. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be, I'll be in contact with Sam because that, that's definitely uh. there's a lot of potential there. So, but pleasure to be on. You
1: love to see some potential. That's what you love to
0: see. It's it's a Whitecaps thing. It's a Vancouver thing.
1: Theo Bear Bear has potential.
2: He does. Let the big dog eat. Let him eat, man. He's hungry. He wants it. I want it. Feed the bear,
0: man. I mean, you're not allowed to feed the bear, but you got to feed the bear anyway. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming
2: on, bro. Mm -hmm. And uh, so any last words, Sebastian, as we close this one out? um
1: no when are we I gonna mean, be
2: recording next, sebastian i know we've got <laughs> our you know our schedule for the rest of the year but when when can yeah we so, back episode 25
1: so you guys can expect episode 25 on sunday um again you can give us all a follow um at 90 plus podcast you can keep up with the podcast updates on there uh you can keep up with alex at alex gangay on twitter um, you can I'll also take
2: how to say that for next time. I'll be better of <laughs> You <I'll
1: practice. laughs> be better. Um, you can also uh, check out at BTS Fan City Between the Sticks. Uh, a lot of great stuff uh, out there from Alex, uh, from Kev, Kevin Gilou. Um I'll
0: hop on on that one. Kevin you
1: Shut up. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> um, and also at. Uh, correct me if I d- I don't have the third sub Twitter memorized yet. I think it's at third at the third sub is, is that it at the
0: at third sub pod it's very at short, third short and sweet
1: pod. okay okay nice okay so you can give the third sub pod uh, a follow on twitter as well you can follow me and ben on twitter at rigetti ben the street continues yep. i know that's how to that's say like at we yeah. that's
2: three in yeah. a row and
1: yeah. uh <laughs> and yeah you can check me out on twitter as well at sebastian p74 we're going to keep uh bringing you guys a lot of coverage here uh as the season dwindles down uh, as always, we'll bring the lineup, predict- the lineup uh, reaction video, as we always do before each game. So uh, make sure to look forward to that on Saturday. And, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Till next time.